Hi. Oh my gosh, it is so nice to meet you. So nice to see you. I know I just got here, but. Oh yeah, likewise. SMU alumna Avery Bishop wins Miss Texas. She's made history as the state's first Asian American title holder in the pageant's 85 year history. Oh yeah, likewise. I had no idea like if you wanted me to be like fully dressed and well, you know, crown and sash, but I have opted to wear a sweatshirt, so. Bishop graduated in 2019 and is most recently a 2022 Deadman Law grad. Hear what she really thinks in this episode of The Pony Pod. Welcome to the podcast, Avery. It's wonderful to have you on. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. You were just crowned this year's Miss Texas, um, representing the city of Carrollton, and you are the first Asian American to be crowned Miss Texas. Narcity released an article a few days ago with the headline, the first Asian American woman was just crowned Miss Texas, and she has quite a resume. How do you feel about headlines like this? Uh, oh, gosh. Well, it. When I first read it, I was like, ooh, like, do I have quite the resume? So I did have to go back and like look at all of my accomplishments and my accolades because a lot of people sometimes forget that women who compete in the Miss America scholarship competition are very well-spoken, well-rounded and highly accomplished individuals. But society typically deems women who do pageants as perhaps lesser or they don't have anything better to do with their lives. When in reality, when I competed at Miss Texas this past week, I won so much scholarship competition money that will go to my student debt from law school. And I even received in-kind scholarships to cover pretty much a full master's degree for free if I decide to pursue that. So those headlines are, at least that one particularly, was very exciting to read because I feel that people are starting to shift their perception of what a modern woman can look like in our day and age. 25-year-old Bishop is a first-generation law graduate and content creator, amassing over 900,000 followers between her Instagram and TikTok pages. She's the co-founder and current director of the Too Long Foundation and a U.S. Congressional Policy Fellow, to name a few. Congratulations on your future master's degree. Can I say Maybe, that? maybe. I, we got to put a school on pause because I just finished law school and that was a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. I mean, I can only imagine. And now you're doing the bar exam, right? That's what you're studying for? Yes. So I originally... I'm supposed to sit for it on July 26th to the 28th, but because of everything that I'm doing right now, I'm actually going to defer to next year, maybe February or July, just to protect my mental health and my mental sanity. Honestly, I talk a lot about mental health on my social media and making sure that I am transparent and honest when it comes to my, um, you know, responsibilities as Miss Texas and managing my own business. So to uh, protect my mental health, we are going to defer the bar until next year. That's probably for the best. Um, no, yeah, can't, no way. <laughs> no way, Jose. So in that same article um, for Narcity, you said that representation saves lives. Uh, could you expand on this in the context of your life and experiences? Sure. So when I was young, around six or seven, I grew up in a really small town. I was born and raised right here in McKinney, Texas. Uh, that town is no longer very small. It's actually quite big. But when I was growing up, going to schools in Prosper ISD, there were tractors on the road, uh, hay bales on the road, and it was just such a small, tiny town. With that, within the state of Texas, uh, there are a lot of communities and people who sometimes just don't understand uh, people who don't look like them who fear 
conversations with people who come from different backgrounds. And I was one of these single individuals or students who looked like the way that I do with my flat nose, my almond shaped eyes that combined with the very difficult financial circumstances I grew up in caused a lot of bullying and discrimination as I grew up in school. Um, when I flash forward through middle school and high school, I made it one of my life missions to make sure that no child ever felt that they didn't belong in the place that they were born in. And as Miss Texas and really as myself generally, I want to teach as many people that um, a Texan can look like you and a Texan can look like me. Uh, and we all can be a part of the same communities while still appreciating and respecting our different types of cultures, racial ethnicities, etc. And whenever you see people who look like you in places you wish to be and wish you dream to be, then you can, you can tell yourself that, hey, I can do that too. But sometimes it's so difficult to envision yourself in a place you want to be when you can't see someone who looks like you in that role. And so representation saves lives, especially when you can see yourself reflected in the mirror uh, in a position that you dream of, of becoming one day. Yeah, you know, you got me with the with the whole thing. I kind of, I was like one of the only Asians when I was in elementary school, wow. I'm by the way. And um, I, first of all, the flat nose thing, I'm like, I was like, for the longest time, I was, I, I hate my nose, but then I caught also, Loki Zendaya has a flat nose, and I was like, man, girl, she is my, literally the moment when I started considering getting a nose job, when the bullying was really bad, and through middle school, middle school, high school, I thought, like, maybe when I turn 18, I'll get my nose fixed fixed because my nose was something to be changed. And then I started looking at women who had the same ancestral blood as me, who were biracial, who were beautiful and who owned it. I was like, you know what? I see myself in them. This goes back to representation saves lives. And since they are embracing their ancestral features, I can too. So. Yeah. And you've mentioned that you see the title of Miss Texas as a great responsibility to promote diversity and inclusion and advocate against discrimination. So in what ways do you foresee utilizing the Miss Texas title specifically for this purpose? Sure. One of the main responsibilities as Miss Texas is to go into hundreds, and I mean hundreds of public schools, and teach thousands of students uh, about Miss Texas's school program. And the school program changes every year depending on who Miss Texas is. This year, my main school program is called Grow Your Garden. And it teaches children that all of us should flourish and blossom together in a vibrant garden. And the way that we can do this is to make sure that every colored flower, whether you're a blue flower or a red flower or a yellow flower, deserves the same amount of water, soil, and food, the same amount of sunlight, so that we can all blossom together. And this is a metaphor or like a story to explain diversity and inclusion, right? These conversations can start with kids as young as age six. And when we can do this, this will help them grow into better community members that will help them um, treat others with kindness and respect, and also give them the tools to have curious conversations to learn more about other people's cultures. I really think that that would have helped a lot of kids around whenever I was in elementary school. As Me well. too. Me too. I mean, I feel like people would not have stolen my lunch as often if they had just like, yeah. if they had just talked to me, if they just were, were curious enough to understand what they didn't know or feared. And I think the root issue with diversity and inclusion and cultural respect is just people don't have the tools to start those conversations to truly learn what it is like to be an Asian 
Asian American or what it's like to be biracial or what it's like to be Indian American living in a small town, right? Nobody knows those experiences and it's up to both parties, but really the other individual to reach out and to fully understand what it's like to be um, that particular identity. Yeah. And pivoting to kind of like what it's like to be particularly you and how you represent yourself, I kind of like to shift into your preliminary talent competition. Uh, (laughs) So you won the overall preliminary talent competition with a rendition of On My Own from the musical Les Miserables. Um, I'm a musical theater kid at heart, so. (laughs) That's so fun. So I wanted to ask, uh, what does this song and the performance mean to you in the context of your life? Well, typically when it comes to pageants, a lot of candidates for wardrobe, they choose to wear very pretty ball gowns and dresses, and they stand at the mic and they give a beautiful performance. For me, I chose to commit to wearing Eponine's true costume. And Eponine comes from a very difficult, challenging circumstance. She didn't have money, she's a pauper. um, And so she is wearing rags in the original rendition of Les Miserables. And I said to myself, you know, I grew up in rags as a child with how difficult it was. My parents were working two jobs each. We were living on food stamps. We experienced a lot of frequent foreclosures. And I grew up in hand-me-downs and thrifted clothing and shoes with holes in them. So I said, if I really wanted to trade to stay true to who I am, I am going to commit to costume. And it really was on stage a reflection and a celebration of how far I have come in my life from living in rags, growing up in those thrifted clothing to such an incredible force of nature that I am today. And now I have the incredible honor and privilege to bring up the community that I came from alongside with me. You mentioned um, on social media that your mother used to sell your outfits by hand for your child. Oh, yes. Yes, she did. Okay, so there are so many horrible videos of me at like eight or nine singing songs at Filipino events and uh, festivals. And my mom like hand-stitched little garments and costumes for me to wear in my performances. And she would get like just like random strips of clothing from Walmart, like fabric, clearance fabric. And she would piece them together to create little dresses for me. And, you know, I look back and while those videos are just so embarrassing on the internet, I love watching them anyways, because I'm like, wow, my, I truly um, got here with the help of a village. And my mom was a part of that. I think about this in contrast to the elaborate beaded, like Nadine Murbari, um, Marabi jumpsuit you showed on TikTok to your audience. So how do you think the relationship with fashion and clothing has changed and developed as you've gotten older? It's so different now, especially with my social media platform. I have almost a million followers across TikTok and Instagram. With that comes with an incredible opportunity to partner with um, incredible businesses, clothing shops, et cetera. Uh, I even met my gown designer through social media. So coming from having grown up in hand-me-downs and thrifted clothing, I still thrift today, but I now have an incredible opportunity to partner with companies like Nadine Muravi, who sent me those incredible pieces to wear throughout Miss Texas week. Um, it's such an honor when I look back now and I reflect on how my speech and debate suits I wore in high school we're all thrifted from Goodwill. And now I'm on stage in incredibly beaded, intricate gowns uh, sponsored by people I've met through social media. Um, my community has truly grown and I'm so appreciative of it. 
And it all started with your mom sewing those gowns from Walmart. Yeah. No, straight up. Like, I cannot believe how I'm 25. And she was sewing those things when I was maybe six or seven. And to me, I feel like that took a while. But objectively, 25 years is such a brief moment of time. And a lot of us as uh, students, as whatever generation you, you may be from, feel like we have to rush life, feel like we have to be so productive all the time, 24 seven. When in reality, in these past 25 years, I have taken time to, to rest, to not move, to not be productive. And I think those moments are just as important as the moments where we are extremely productive. I mean, you could have fooled me. <laughs> There's a separate link in the article um, that I was looking at about you, about Miss Texas, that says, click here for her accolades. We're not going to mention them here. They're too long. <laughs> Wait, where are they? Wait, what link was it for? The link to your, um, I think your contact me page or your about me page. That's your website. Um, oh, oh no. <laughs> very funny. Um, but yeah, so you represented Carrollton in the Miss Texas competition. Uh, so I hope it's not too much of a leap in logic to assume you're familiar with H Mart. I love H Mart. Okay, so the whole um, Asian town in Carrollton is one of the reasons why I chose to represent the city. So there is not a prosper title. Well, there is. Okay, so it's difficult to explain how to get a local title in Miss Texas. Just know that you don't have to live in the city to represent the city that you represent at state. I was Miss Dallas previously. And you can't be the same title two years in a row. So I thought to myself, if I'm going to come back my one last year, what city do I really want to represent? And I said, you know what? Good old H Mart in Carrollton. We, we got to go back to my roots because I grew up in Carrollton doing Asian festivals, events, galas all over there. And our, the little Asian town has ex exploded. It's now like on both sides of the highway. I remember when it was just that one little section and people were like, what's H Mart? And now everyone and their mom is over there getting boba. Yeah, everyone and their mom is going to Korean barbecue. I highly recommend that you go guys because Texas, sure we have great smoked Texas barbecue, but have you been to Korean barbecue? No, that's, that's the truth. And it's more fun. It's more fun, you know? Yeah, and I agree. Uh, leads me to ask, have you read Michelle Zahner's Crying in H Mart before? No, it's on the to-do list. But since I finished law school, I've been slowly going down my to-read list and she's like seventh in the list right now. And I'm working towards it. I'm really excited to finally read it. Did you cry? Girl, I'm half Korean. Michelle's honors half Korean. It's about grief and food oh, no. and Korean food. Did I cry? <laughs> Yeah. Oh gosh. I don't think I have to emotionally prepare myself because I'm a crier. I'll cry at everything and anything. So if I pick up that book and I read the first two pages and cry, it's game over. It's oh, the reason why I asked is because during Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, I saw you posted something about how you use cooking and Filipino food to connect with your mom and your culture. And yeah. that is just what crying in H Mart is about. <laughs> Oh no. Oh no. See that I'm certainly not prepared to read it because my way of celebrating and honoring 
my family in the Philippines and honoring my mom and really staying connected to my Filipino roots is through food and growing my own vegetables in my backyard. This goes back to my Miss Texas program about growing your own garden because I'm a gardener myself. And so I, I grow a lot of my fresh vegetables, my fresh ingredients in my backyard. I take them into the kitchen. I cook maybe my favorite dish, sinigang, chicken adobo, pancit canton, and I invite as many friends as I can around the dinner table. I love having intimate dinner parties with friends. We put our phones away and we share in a good meal. And whenever we break bread with people from different communities, from different backgrounds, it teaches people that we can come together and share in a meal despite all of our differences. You are cut from the same bone as Michelle's honor. I'll tell you that. Am I really? Okay. Maybe I'll just read it. I'll We'll put all the other books on the back burner and just go for uh, crying in H Mart. And I will give you constant updates and see how I fare through reading it. Oh, I can't wait. I'll expect it, in fact. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll be on it. I'll get on it. Um, so, are there any specific Filipino dishes that really strike that connection for you? Yeah. Well, I just made sinigang yesterday, actually. Uh, whenever I was in my first year of law school and still to this day, my mom would drop off just a giant pot of homemade sinigang during final season because I would be pent up in my in my apartment for two or three weeks, never seeing the sun. So she would just come over her, my mom stands at an intimidating four foot, eight inches. And she like comes over in her cute little um, slip-ons and her she brings her bamboo stick over because she wants to clean my house for me when she comes over too. And she comes in with a, a pot of sinigang. And she has taught me over the years how to make it. I've also changed it just a little bit sometimes because the recipe um, is usually more tangy, but I like my food spicy. Uh, and she gets very mad when I change her recipes, but I think that's for the better. I think recipes need to breathe and need to change and grow, especially with the person who cooks it. So yeah, I love reconnecting with my culture through food oh, that's freaking gorgeous i gotta learn how to cook i'll tell you i'm i'm I an bet you can. I, i've been living on a meal plan for a while in her own words bishop was late to the ball game competing at her first local in the miss texas scholarship competition at age 22 where she won over twenty thousand dollars in scholarships that year You've shared so many raw behind the scenes moments from your time in the Miss Texas competition to your struggles with acne and self image and to now studying for the bar exam. Do you ever find yourself afraid of posting something too honest? Uh, you know, I feel like the internet has seen everything about me at this point. And with having a million followers comes a responsibility to be honest be transparent and to be unfiltered as much as possible. I really don't hold anyone. I really don't judge people who are on social media with very filtered images, filtered videos, et cetera. But I do encourage people to disclose that they are filtering, right? Just be honest and come forward and let people know. But as a creator and as an influencer with so many children who follow me, quite frankly, like I have kids who are eight or nine that follow the content I create, whenever I post something that's raw, that's real, um, I don't think there's ever too, there's not, never a line that's too far. 
But for me, I do like to protect the privacy of the people in my life. Uh, you'll see that I don't mention my partner very often, who I've been with for almost seven years now. Um, I try to keep my mom very limited as well. I really want to protect the privacy of the people around me. And they don't typically make an appearance. And if they do, I always make sure that I have their consent to do so. Do you think that social media is like an outlet for you to express the reality or alleviate the pressure and presentability that you experience as a crown holder or in your positions of leadership? That's a great question. You know, for me, my social media presence, because it's so raw, unfiltered, transparent, and honest, there are no two different worlds. They come together as one, and it's who I am as I present myself in real life. It's who I am as I present myself in the crown and sash. And quite frankly, I think that's the reason why I won the title this past weekend. I was um, just a couple of days before I checked into Miss Texas, I posted a photo of me with no makeup, with my acne scarring and my pimples, and I was loving life gardening in my vegetable garden. And I gardened this giant bell pepper and his name was Big Daddy, the size of my face, and we ate him. So for some reason on stage, that's the story I talked about. I talked about growing a giant green bell pepper. I talked about how I ate him and I talked about how I named him Big Daddy. There's clearly no separation of how I present myself on social media and how I present myself as Miss Texas. And I think that's for the better. And I recall this um, TikTok that you posted in which you are saying like, bye friends. And then you go into your car and, <laughs> off and you just start eating. And that's what, that's what inspired me to ask that question. Yeah. Okay. So usually I will say that when we're talking to children, at least for me, my voice goes up just a little bit higher when I talk to six or seven year olds. And I do have like a very energetic presence. And when I got in the car, this video, for those of you who are listening in, i um, got about like 1.5 million views. And it's me doing like a comedic skit of what it's like to spend a whole day uh, as Miss Carrollton. This was when I was Carrollton before. And then I get in my car and it shows like how many things I carry as a title holder. You're carrying a crown box. You're carrying a giant bag. You're, you're carrying wardrobe, shoes, a coffee, a water, your car keys, a planner. You're carrying everything. And it's me just like throwing everything into the car and like shoving all the stuff away. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say that there's too much of a difference. I will say that maybe my voice goes a little bit higher when I talk to kids. <laughs> and, you know, I hearing you just even talk about this, um, so much of your story is documented on social media, which you know, leads me to understand the pageant world or think I understand the pageant world more mm. than I do. <laughs> but critics of the pageant scene will sometimes report that pageantry is an objectification of women and that American pageants might peddle a specific, often white beauty standard. So mm. have you grappled with this kind of rhetoric in your experience in the Miss America circuit? First, let me explain that there are two different, or not really two different, but there are many different pageant systems. The one that I compete in is a scholarship competition. We actually are branding away from the word or, or term pageant. I still reference it as a pageant because I don't see there's anything uh, that we need to hide behind. I think that it's okay and it's truly um, whatever if we want to present ourselves on stage in evening gowns, if we want to compete. When it comes to a lot of the rhetoric around pageantry, what I say is this, um, pageantry does not have to be relevant to anyone and to everyone in our society. It's very much like football. Football is not necessary for society. And yet people benefit from being a part of the NFL. People find it entertaining. 
and it benefits the people who are within that system. So it helps a lot of young athletes become their greatest potential and make lots of money. The same thing can be applied to competing in Miss America for scholarships. This organization benefits me. It is relevant to me. And I'll be quite frank, I really don't care if anyone else sees pageantry as relevant to themselves. If other people find it fun and relatable and entertaining, that's great too. But at the end of the day, it benefits young women and it helps them get into colleges and afford it, which in this economy, a lot of us need help affording tuition, especially at SMU. So I highly, highly recommend that if you're one of the individuals who thinks like pageantry is for ditzy, um, way feminine, um, women who have nothing better to do with their lives, it's actually quite the opposite. The women who come through the Miss America system, we have social impact initiatives where we go into communities and we serve thousands of community service hours every year during our 12 month reign. As an Asian American woman, have you experienced intersectional forms of female objectification? Like for example, I know there's a stereotype of desirability based on this quiet, like meek type of Asian woman. And how has this affected you and your relationship with yourself, especially someone who's so present in the media and on social media specifically? Yes, actually very recently with a lot of the news articles that have come out, I have found myself and I try not to within the comment sections. And there are a lot of individuals who are strangers from the internet, uh, exoticizing and sexualizing me as an Asian American woman. And, I, you know, it makes me feel uncomfortable. First of all, it makes me feel gross. And I really don't know how to navigate that, especially since it is a very brand new experience. I experienced that a couple of years ago, maybe an undergrad, but now it's very much in the forefront of my mind and the forefront of social media, especially with all of the attention I'm receiving. Um, I recently posted on my Instagram stories, calling people out and addressing those comments. But at the end of the day, I truly don't know what it's going to take to address a lot of this sentimentality and this idea that Asian women are exotic and therefore should be sexualized in that way. Um, I think that anything that goes against the typical European or Eurocentric beauty standard is seen as an other beauty, like a different beauty, when in reality, maybe I'm just beautiful, right? Maybe I'm just beautiful as who I am. And they can't accept that. They can't admit that because if they admit it, then they're saying that the Eurocentric beauty standard is no, is no more. So maybe we are having like some sort of mental shift towards beauty being a little bit more inclusive, but the people who are continuing to exoticize me and sexualize me in that way are probably having a difficulty coming to terms that I can look just as beautiful as any other woman as well. And that's always been so tricky. I imagine just also on top of the fact that you're seeing your face constantly on these like blown up images of I know <laughs> what is that like because you've you've shared openly um that you know you have very real skin I I imagine like I see these like pictures of you where it's like so like perfect and poreless and then I really respect whenever you're like hey you can look however you want to look and like, you know, you don't need to have perfect skin to be a model or you don't need to be seven feet tall to be a model. 
Mm -hmm. I, again, this goes back to being very open about mental health and being honest and transparent on social media. Again, for those of you who are just listening, like right now I have like a lot of breakouts, but I have concealer over them right now. I have struggled with acne and scarring rosacea for my whole life. And I just feel that I, we don't see celebrities. We don't see a lot of models. A lot of people we look up to show their true skin texture. So I make it my mission to at least like post once a week, my true unfiltered skin with nothing on it, because it makes me, it reminds me of what I really look like without the filters. I have no control over Yahoo News taking my photo and filtering it. I have no control over, um, who was the other one? Like next shark taking a duck photo of me, like duck selfie photo of me. And I had like absolutely no control. But what I do have control over is how I present myself on media, my personal accounts. And I do my best. Like most recently I did a video talking about how I'm signed with an agency and I booked quite literally a skincare line to do photos for. And I had such a horrible breakouts that day. Sometimes I do let it get to me and I let it determine my confidence and my, my, um, self-appreciation of, of who, of my body and who I am. But most of the time, um, I'm pretty like, here's my face. This is what I look like. I have no makeup on. (laughs) You think it's funny how they definitely saw the headline. Oh, she's a TikToker. And they chose the most TikToker, like car selfie duck face picture that they could have. I am up in arms for whoever thought that was what in their mind just to get to that photo you have to scroll through other decent looking pictures like just cute ones where I'm in an oversized t-shirt without makeup on and like ones where I'm with my dog and no they decide to choose the one where I'm looking like what in no what I know they were hunting (laughs) really how can we make her look more gen z is probably what they asked bishop has over 800,000 followers on tiktok and over 65,000 on instagram highlighting behind the scenes moments ranging from grueling law exams to meeting other miss texas competitors yeah oh okay so what i wanted to ask earlier was for your first year on the Miss America circuit, you placed first runner-up at Miss Texas. What inspired you to come back after being so close last time? So funny story. Here's the like true history. In 2019 was the first year I competed. I represented a small town called Lufkin. That's where I placed first runner-up. My second year as Miss Dallas, I actually only made top 10. There were a lot of people um, that came to me after the competition. And that, at that point, I had aged out technically. Uh, they had not increased the age requirement just yet. But people came to me and they were saying, oh, we're so sorry. Like, it must feel really bad that you went from first runner up to just top 10. And in my mind, I said, I didn't mind. That's okay. I, it's okay that I didn't win that year, my la- my technical last year of eligibility. In fact, um, this is not necessarily a rejection. It's just a redirection in life. And I got to walk away with incredible friendships, some scholarship money. And then three months later, they said, Avery, we want you back. We're going to increase the age requirement. (laughs) Psych. That was all a joke. Then I came back that year. And because it was truly my last year of eligibility, the only thought I had throughout the whole week was gratitude. 
because it was quite literally my last chance, my last joy ride. And I crave any opportunity to be back on stage because I was a musical theater major and I loved performing. And as a law student, you don't get a lot of those chances anymore. You don't get a lot of chances to be creative and to perform. So with that in mind, um, I also think that might've been a, a reason why I won was the whole week I was just grateful to be there. Grateful to be there for one last time. Yeah. And I know you were um, a human rights major, but you switched from being a theater acting major. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, I did. So I originally in Texas, I went to Texas State and that's where I was like an acting musical theater major. Um, that year I experienced a lot more discrimination um, and I was also experiencing a lot of financial insecurity. So I decided to quit my program and move back closer to home um, and transferred to SMU actually. And that's why I switched. That year was also 2016. That was the presidential election. And that had a huge impact on me as a human being, as a person. I just vividly remembering, vividly remember waking up what that morning after the election, like calling all these people that I had to talk to and let them know like this, like our lives are going to change. Um, and so I made the commitment to run for office that year. And so that was also something that led to me changing my major. Would you say that the experience you had in the human rights department led to your continuing uh, into SMU law? Yes, for sure. Whenever people ask me, why did I go to law school? It was definitely 90% fear of not knowing what I want to do after, uh, after graduation and 10% really for my community. I look back now and I love my time in law school, but I will admit that it, I didn't really put myself first. I didn't do it just for me. I did it for other people. And with that comes a lot of, um, you know, cons, like a lot of disappointment, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, especially if you don't allow yourself to do something for yourself at the end of the day. Um, but I don't regret going. And the human rights program is actually the reason why I continue doing a lot of my nonprofit work here in Texas and in Southeast Asia. Yeah. And You've mentioned on social media that one thing you would tell people to adopt to achieve their goals is discipline. Uh, is there anything you would add to this piece of advice for SMU students or for anyone looking to make their dreams tangible? I would recommend using the power of no. This relates to like the toxic productivity culture that we live in right now. Ever since we transitioned to a more uh, work from home, type approach to school and work. A lot of us felt that we had to constantly be doing something all the time. And if we weren't doing something at all, then we were weak and we were lazy and we didn't deserve to take up space. At the end of the day, one of my biggest regrets through undergrad and through SMU law school is just not taking enough time for myself and saying no more often when I know that I didn't have enough time on my plate to equally allocate the amount of time and energy required to do the things that I loved. So in combination with discipline, get the work done that you don't want to do so you can do the things that you want to do. Also say no more often. So what's next for you after being Miss Texas through being Miss Texas? What are your next, what are your plans? Okay, here we go. So um, right now, be Miss Texas, compete at Miss America in December, Take the bar exam next year, either February, July, still unsure. 
and then maybe get a master's degree and go back to school or continue social media consultations through my small business and expanding my nonprofit. I really don't see myself in a traditional sense working in a courtroom as a lawyer. Um, I actually feel that my law degree has been so applicable in many different ways than I had never expected in my life. Um, so because I have such a successful business on the side as a social media creator, I get to do sort of pro bono legal work that I wanted to do as I entered law school, but would not have been able to afford to do so. So I'm thinking of also becoming a CASA, which is a child, uh, a court appointed special advocate for children um, in the court system. So that might be on my list too. Right now, I can only see now and 12 months ahead afterwards, who knows where life's going to take me. Well, I hope reading Crying in H Mart is on your list. <laughs> yes, it is. That's on my immediate list. This weekend, I need to buy it for my Kindle because I, I read my books electronically. Do you read your books paperback or electronic? You know what? I'm an English major, but I listen to audiobooks a lot, actually. Okay, someone told me to get hooked on audiobooks. And maybe this is the year that I do it because Miss Texas um, does a lot of road trips and drives long distances all the time. So I guess I got to add audiobooks to my to-do list as well. I feel like it's difficult for Miss Texas if they're all driving. Like, I feel like Texas is so large. You're at a little bit of a disadvantage here because you got to go everywhere and it takes so long. It's mostly driving. And then we do a lot of flying too. Um, but who knows what's going to happen? I'm already booked to do um, engagements in DC, Las Vegas, and New York. And I was like, hmm, hmm, okay. <laughs> Hopefully I don't drive to those places and we fly. <laughs> Do you feel like any exceptional pressure as Miss Texas in the climate that we're in right now relating to gun safety, especially with what happened tragically in Ovadi? Yeah, I actually, my onstage question was about the Uvalde shooting and what I would do if I had a chance to talk to lawmakers. My answer to the school shooting question was um, immediately, I would advocate to at least ban the particular weapon that was used in most school shootings in the past two decades, which is an AR-15. Um, I feel like that's something that's feasible that we can do within the next two years and doesn't necessarily infringe on a lot of Texas rights. And we know that Texas loves to be able to own weapons legally. So I feel like the immediate response could be to ban that particular weapon. I also think that the federal legislation, the federal bill that was passed was definitely a step in the right direction, but we could do better. As Miss Texas, my responsibility is to serve the people as a whole. And sometimes people are like, can a title holder be political? Can she not? Um, I feel that I was very open and honest about where I stand throughout my interviews and throughout onstage questions this past week. And while I do have very firm beliefs of what I feel about certain pieces of legislation, at the end of the day, I'm going to listen to as many communities as possible to learn different perspectives and advocate for what they want themselves. Oftentimes, leaders representatives, Miss Texas, volunteers, will go into communities and assume what they think is the right answer for a particular community. For example, Uvalde, um, what they wanted was a new school. They wanted a new building. They wanted to tear down that building. They want to rebuild that new um, elementary school so that students feel comfortable going through those hallways. Um, and HEB has stepped up to do that. But the past like months, people were not listening to what they wanted. People were like, no, you need to do this. We're going to do this for you. We're going to do that. When the families and the children all collectively wanted just a new place to restart and someone finally listened to them. And that's what I'm going to do as Miss Texas. I'm going to listen first and then act politically if I have to. And how are you feeling about going into the Miss America competition? I feel pretty good. You know, 
I feel just very grounded. One thing that I want to keep as I prepare for Miss Texas is my mentality of live, laugh, love, because I have been such a pent up person. I struggle with control, wanting to control everything in my life. And whenever I competed for Miss Texas this past week, I truly felt like I had let go of everything. And I was really there just to enjoy the moment and to be grateful for the opportunities that I have had through this organization. So as I prepare for Miss America in December, it really is going to be a lot of rehearsals and practice and interview questions and mock interviews and choosing wardrobe, doing appearances, et cetera, all with the support of my board. But what I am going to prioritize is taking care of myself and finding a way to truly honor who I am and who six-year-old Avery wanted to be on that stage come December. I hope you can also take some of the learning to say no into the Miss America competition as well. So one of the things I'm looking forward to the most actually is I'm going to Glacier Park in September for five days and I'm going to be completely off the grid. And I'm so looking forward to that because it's right before I start preparing for Miss America full time. And, you know, like right in the middle of when I do hundreds of appearances. So I think it's going to be perfect timing for me to take a step back and truly um, you know, honor taking care of my body and my mental state before we hit the ground running. I'm excited to watch. I have not watched a Miss America pageant through and through. Now but- you are. I hope you tune in. Our current Miss America is actually Korean American. She's the first Korean American to win the title. I know. I know. I'm so proud of her. See Bishop compete in the Miss America pageant later this year, but also keep an eye out for the sashing gown soon on the hilltop. You guys will likely see me at the homecoming parade this fall, not as Avery, but as Miss Texas. So excited. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Pony Pod. I've been your host, Simone Melvin. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at SMU Daily Campus and on Twitter at The Daily Campus. We'll see you again soon. You want to add anything else to um, say to the SMU community? You know, pony up and pony out, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) That's it.